Good morning. My name is Spencer, and I am one of the pastors here. We are in Psalm 100 today, which is on page 287, your blue Bibles that are under you or around you. You can follow along there. You can also follow along on uh, the screen. The text will be on the screen this morning. So we've been in the Psalms this summer, uh, and this is our final week in the Psalms. And then uh, a couple of years ago, we were in the Psalms. Uh, and we'll continue to come back to them because they are good for our souls to sit in. But there's, uh, there's a lot of similarities in, in the Psalms and all, all 150 of them. But there's also some, some differences. They do different things. Uh, you look at Psalms like Psalm uh, 19 and 139 that we looked at this summer. And those Psalms had immense depth and truth in them and doctrine that helps shape us and guide us as the people of God. You look at Psalms like Psalm 23 and Psalm 42. And those are psalms that help us in the midst of loss and suffering and grieving. And they help us uh, uh, worship God through lament. You look at psalms like Psalm 51 that help us in repentance. Psalm 67 that gives us a, a taste of Jesus reaching uh, the nations. Like there's psalms that do all kinds of different things. Some of them are very long and some of them are very short. And then you get a few psalms like we're going to be in today. Psalm 100 is five verses. It is a short, succinct look at how we are called to worship God. And, and there's a few psalms like this that are real short, real compact, but that just help us praise God because he's worthy of it. And that's how we're closing up our summer in the psalms. It's looking at Psalm 100, receiving its commands to help guide us in worshiping God and then helping see why we're called to do it. So I'm going to read through it all at once. And then we'll walk through it together. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let me pray for us and then we'll walk through this together. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the Psalms. This beautiful psalm book that we get to come back to over and over again that helps us worship you. These songs and prayers that guide us towards the heavens, towards you. God, I pray that you would help us be present this morning that you would speak to us and that we'd respond in faith and repentance and obedience and worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there's a subtitle in Psalm 100 that kind of frames up the psalm. It says, a psalm for giving thanks. So this psalm comes at the end of a five-psalm set called the Kingship Psalms. Okay? It's all about God is our king. And this one is saying, no, we're going to be thankful to our King. So that frames it up and then verse 1, the first of many commands that we're going to see here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. All right. So make a joyful noise. So may not be something we're as familiar with here because uh, we're not Pentecostal. But we're, we're better than most Baptists, you guys. We, we, we get a little animated. But this is make a joyful noise. Maybe the, the, the most familiar uh, uh, setting where you would hear this is coming up Saturdays in the fall in the south. 
Yep, preach. It's, it's college football. That's what we're probably most familiar with. That's where you hear a joyful noise, where you, where you hear 80,000 plus fans, not too far away from here, directionally, wherever that is, at williams Bryce Stadium, who may or may not, depends to be, uh, or, or remains to be seen, have a joyful thing to celebrate this fall. We always hope for the best as Gamecock fans, and they never always let us down. But that's it, right? That, that's the most joyful noise that you're going to hear in our area is a bunch of people, mostly adults, cheering on 20-year-old young men playing a child's game. It is silly, can't be idolatrous, but that's where you most are familiar with this type of joyful noise that's being commanded here in Psalm 100. And the, the psalmist, in some psalms, they're, they're concerned with the congregation worshiping God. In some psalms, they're focusing on the individual uh, uh, interacting with God. This psalm is bigger. It says, no, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. This isn't just all the peoples. This isn't every body. This is all of creation. That's what earth is getting at. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. This is similar to when Jesus is doing the triumphant entry into the city on Palm Sunday, and the people start praising him, and the Pharisees get upset at this and say, you need to stop this. And he says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He's saying, you don't understand. The whole earth praises me because we're, I'm worthy of this. As we're getting at Psalm 19 we looked at this summer. The whole earth is testifying, all of creation is testifying to the glory of God. And Psalm 100 says, let's join in that. Let's join in the whole chorus that's joyfully praising God. And don't miss this. We're called to do this joyfully. We're commanded to do this with joy. And listen, this isn't something that we just manufacture. Okay, that's not the kind of joy that's happening here. This is what it means to behold God for who he is and his glory and his goodness and his beauty. And the, when you behold him, what flows out of you is joy. Like if you've ever seen a set of new parents holding their newborn child, they are beaming with joy. They are grinning. They are excited. They are terrified. There is an awe in them. You see that. Now listen, they don't have to manufacture that. They're not faking that. That's real because they're holding the most beautiful creature that they've ever seen in their entire lives. And listen, children are beautiful gifts of God. Okay? They make jokes, but they're wicked sinners. And they are. But don't miss it. They are beautiful, amazing gifts of God. That reaction is how it should be. But our children pale in comparison to the glory of God. Our God is more beautiful, more glorious, more worthy of all and joy. And when you behold him for who he is, you get to see an overflow out of you that is joy. Because you are worshiping the Lord. Okay, so he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And then he gives a second command. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now, serving with gladness may be a category that we're not familiar with. That's not, like if you're, 
if your boss says, all right, I need you to stay late, okay? I need you to finish out the reports so we can close out the quarter. I need you to finish up these cars so we can get them off the lot back to the customers. I need you to stay late a few hours after uh, uh, five. Most of you aren't like, yes, boss. I'm in with gladness. I will serve you. That's just typically, that's not a natural response for us. It is this joyful, it's almost childlike, giddy, glad service. My son, uh, uh, Bridgers, is at like the perfect age. He's at five and it's awesome because I am like the greatest to him. He, he thinks I'm the coolest. He thinks I'm the smartest. He th- thinks I'm the strongest. Like I, he is very excited. When I ask him to come serve me, I say, hey, hold, hold this tool while I'm doing this. He is glad because his dad is the greatest. Now, he's in for a huge letdown. When he realizes, like, I have the back of, like, a 60-year-old man that, like, I just, I'm rarely the smartest person in the room. That includes in my own home. So, like, he's due for a letdown. But hear this. There's no letdown with God. There ain't no letdown with God. When you serve the Lord and you realize how good he is, there's a lot of joy in it because his perfection is untainted by any perfection. That his power is unhindered by any weakness. He is inexhaustible. That his love is uncorrupted, his grace is unfathomable, his wisdom is unsearchable. You see all the attributes of God lined up, and there's no one in this world that comes close. So as you follow God, and you're obedient to his word, and you're obedient to where he calls you to in life, we get to serve him with this gladness, because our God is truly amazing. Then he issues another command. He goes on to say, come into his presence with singing. Come into his presence with singing. He commands his people to sing. He commands us to sing. Now, some of you just got really excited because like, you, you're like Matt Freeman who just sings all the time. He does. He sings all the time, y'all. And, and, and singing to the Lord is something that you're all in on. It's like, yes. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. I will sing to the Lord all the time. And some of you are like, please no. <laughs> I, I, I'd rather not. I'll go do the service stuff, but I, I, don't, I don't want to sing. And I want to take a few minutes just to uh, help you see why this command is good. For those of you that don't really enjoy singing, maybe you don't really sing here on a Sunday, I want to help you see why this is actually really, really good by working through some of the reasons why you might not sing. And the first is, is that it's humbling. It's humbling. Uh, some of you may find it humbling because the when you sing, it sounds more like verse 1. It sounds more like a joyful noise coming out. And that's, listen, I'm on your team, all right? When I sing, it's not the most pleasant sound in the world. So maybe that's you. You don't like to sing because you're just not very good at it. We would never set you up here on a Sunday and lead others in worship. Maybe you don't sing because you think it's silly. That it's, it's a little silly. It's a little childlike. It's a little beneath you. It's just a little like, ah, just, I don't, I don't, I'm not all about that. Listen, it's humbling, okay? Whether you struggle to sing well or whether you, like, it, it's a humbling experience. If I sing to my wife, which I don't do because that doesn't show her love. 
she wouldn't appreciate that, okay? But if I sang to her, I positioned myself beneath her, right? I'm humbling myself before her in singing. So yes, singling, it is humbling, okay? It absolutely is childlike. And, and, and some of you, and, and to be honest, and this is anecdotal, I don't have stats to back this up, but the majority of, of people that don't sing in worship are men, that's been here, it's been, all the churches I've ever been a part of is that men are less likely to sing than women. You may have a lot of reasons that you don't sing, but let me tell you why you should. Because if you are willing to joyfully praise 20-year-old young men throwing a football around on a Saturday, if you're willing to joyfully sing at a concert while the lead singer is singing about ants marching or thunder or a pickup truck and a girl, which is like a thousand different country songs, whatever your speed is. If you're willing to join the chorus at a concert, if you're willing to cheer people online who are playing with a fake digital character, playing another nerd halfway across the world who has their own digital fake character, listen, I don't understand it, I don't have to, you do you. But if you're willing to do that and joyfully cheer someone else on, but you're unwilling to sing here on a Sunday, you've misunderstood reality. No, we, we need to sing to our Lord. He's worthy of our worship. We need to joyfully celebrate him. It is humbling. If you're willing to humble yourself before anything else and not the Lord, we need a reality check. We need to change here, repent here, and actually sing and obey this command. The second reason, it's about your heart, not your ability. Okay? It's about your heart, not your ability. You might have a very pleasant voice. For a church our size, I'm unbelievably blown away at the amount of people that God has gifted to lead us in worship. It is such an immense blessing. But you might have a great voice, but guess what? If your heart is not in the right place, right? If it's about self, if it's about how good you sound or look before others, the Bible says very bluntly, God hates that. The book of Amos says that very bluntly in Amos 5. It says in verse 21, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Because the people of God were still having assemblies and still praising God and bowing down to idols and not doing justice that God had called them to do. They were still living in sin and acting, doing the part. Their heart was in the wrong place and they're still doing the actions. And it goes on in verse 23 to say, take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your heart's to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. That corrects the, that corrects the heart that, that sings about themselves, but that also gives us the picture of that it's truly about the heart, which means if you sound like a bad American Idol audition, right, that's okay because it's not about your ability to sing. It's about your heart's position before the Lord. Third, it's not about you. The third reason why you should sing. It's not about you. That's one of the things I appreciate about congregational worship. It's not about the individual. It's about the corporate. I personally love the cover of all the saints in the room singing. It's great. It means I can sing louder. Right? The only people who have to endure my singing are the ones who sit directly in front of me. So, sorry. Sing louder. You won't hear me. But I love that because that's how, listen, that I, I would argue that's by design, okay? 
When you zoom in on the individual, you're going to hear all the imperfections. But when you zoom out and you hear the collective, you hear a beautiful chorus, right? Like we went to a, a pastor's conference called Together for the Gospel uh, this in, in April. And Together for the Gospel has these, um, it, the worship at those conferences is a, is a guy on a piano with a microphone and ten to 12,000 pastors and ministry leaders singing. And their albums are on, on Spotify and you listen to them and it's amazing. There are 10,000 voices praising God. It's poetic. It's, 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 it's brilliant. It's so pleasant to hear. And I think that's by design. I think that's the God view of worship. That's what he gets to hear as the saints come together for corporate worship, which tells you it's not about you. You get to join in the chorus of all the saints praising our God for who he is. So listen, obey the command. Obey the command. Come into his presence with singing. Third, or verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God. That's the next command. He says, know that he is God. Which is one of the ways that we do this is through word and prayer. That we want to know that he is God. Be reminded of this on a daily basis. To know him. And then he goes on to say, it is he who made us. That's creator language. It is he who made us, and we are his. Now we're switching into more covenantal language. This is the covenant relationship between God and Israel in the Old Testament. And it furthers the idea when he says we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That's God and Israel. That's the shepherd and his sheep. And the truth that's being taught there is that we belong to God. We belong to him. And that's powerful for two reasons. First, it means that we are his possession. It means that if you believe in Christ, you belong to him. He possesses you. The Old Testament taught us in Deuteronomy 7 when it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, that's true in the New Covenant in the New Testament, in 1 Peter, when he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. He possesses us. We belong to him in that way. In the same way that my children belong to me. Like I helped make them. And I have to remind them sometimes that my wife and I, we bought everything in this house because <laughs> they'll fight over toys and then they'll like fight over territory. And it's like, listen, stop. We own everything in this house. It is on loan to you to be able to use for your enjoyment. But we bought all of this. We, you belong to us. And there's a lot of benefits that come with them belonging to us. We love them more than anyone else in this world does. We, we would protect them more than anyone else would want to. Like we... we if someone touches my child, it's on, right? That's built into parenthood. It, I'm their biggest fan. Like I get to coach my, I got to coach my son's t-ball team uh, this last spring, and I did my best, and I think I did a decent job uh, of being the coach who's objective, okay? Who you know didn't try to favor his son over the other kids, but there were moments when I watched him hit a ball and run awkwardly to first base as fast as he could. 
that I was beaming. I was like, yes, that's my boy. Woo! Like I was going for it because I'm his biggest fan. I'm my children's biggest fan because they belong to me. That's built into the relationship. And it's built into the relationship of God and his people. That there's immense benefit and belonging to him. That he possesses us. That he's in our corner more than anyone else. That he's for our good and our ultimate good more than anyone else. That's the first picture that I think is really powerful for belonging to him, to being the sheep in his pasture. The second is that we have a place with him. I love that picture of we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. That we, we have a place with the Lord, that we belong with him in that way. Because many of us have been searching for belonging for a very long time. You felt that in middle school where you searching for a place to belong and you kept searching and you know it might change middle school you know is one thing but that search continues throughout life looking for a place to belong looking for a people to belong to and I want to tell you and very be very candid I, I think the church is an, is an unbelievable place to belong I think our church is an unbelievable place to belong the church of Jesus the local church is a beautiful, messy, wonderful place. It's a bunch of misfit sheep that God has called together as his people. And our shepherd is really, really good. So if you've been searching for a place to belong, the people of God is a wonderful place to be. To, to be. That's how it always has been, all the way back to Psalm 100 when this was written. That the pasture of the Lord is a wonderful place to belong. If you've ever, if you've ever wandered a long distance in life trying to find belonging, Hear the encouragement that Jesus offers here. Then he gives the next command in verse 4. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now, this picture is the Old Testament picture of worship. When they would travel to Jerusalem, to the temple, and the temple courts, where they'd offer sacrifices, where they would sing praises and offer thanks to God. But the command to give thanks is something that I think is lacking for many of us. I think many of us forget all the things that God does for us. and all. I think we forget how great he really is and we, we don't give thanks enough for that. And being his children, that, that happens. Children can be entitled. Like I, I, when I was uh, at the end of my junior year of high school, my mom sold her family business and became a stay-at-home mom and she actually was she's already was a good cook she was actually going at some point for culinary classes to further just her skills because she wanted to so my senior year I had the distinct privilege of being able to eat some wonderful meals it was great and what would happen is I would finish football practice I'd finish baseball practice and I would call home and my my school was about 30 minutes from my house I call home and she said what do you want for dinner and I'd say I don't know steak your brown rice that you make, our, our secret family recipe for mac and cheese, which was Stouffer's, which is a very underrated mac and cheese. In fact, I would argue that the Chick-fil-A mac and cheese is just Stouffer's they sprinkle some cheese on, okay? So those who love it, I, don't, I can't back that up, but that's my theory. I was like, can, can you make it? And she'd say, yes, she would. That whole senior year, I got to eat all these great meals, got to come home, and I'm sure every now and then I said thank you. But at the same time, you just got, I got accustomed to it for the whole year. It was very great. And that happens with kids. You just, they just get, like I realized as I became an adult, when I finally realized that I didn't give enough thanks to my parents, 
is when I started having my own kids and I started watching them do the same things that I used to do. To go through life expecting this, expecting that, expecting this, getting mad when you don't get this, getting mad when you don't get that, rarely saying thanks. And I'm trying to, I'm, I'm working, we're discipling our kids, we're trying to coach them. Trying to say, hey, listen, your mama just did that. Thank her. Say, look at her eye contact. Thank you. Thank you. But that doesn't naturally flow out of them. But here's what I've realized as a parent. I don't do it for the thanks. My wife doesn't do it for the thanks. We do it because we love them. We love our kids. And we sacrifice for them. And we do all these things for them. Not to get applause, but because we immensely love them. And that is how our God is with us. And then some. God loves us deeply. It is all the things for us and all the ways that are seen and unseen because he loves us. And we're missing out if we don't thank him. Thank the God who gave us life, who gave us existence. Thank the God who gives us daily bread that we take for granted. Thank the God who gives us different abilities and talents. And if you're a Christian, thank the God who gave himself up for you. Thank the God who in Christ gives us immense spiritual blessings. Thank the God who gives us an unbelievable, unending eternity of joyous praise before him. We have unbelievable benefits, endless benefits that he's worthy of thanks for. It is good for our souls, the people of God. They had to come to Jerusalem to be in the presence of God, to offer thanks to him. And in Christ, we don't have to do that anymore. If you believe in Jesus, you can wake up each day and you can thank the Lord. You can go to sleep each night and you can thank the Lord. One of the things, like I, we, we, I quote Philippians 4, 6 quite often. Do not be anxious in anything but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your requests be known to God like I, I focus on a lot of times do not be anxious which is a powerful part of that and make your request which is a powerful part of that but with thanksgiving often gets missed our prayers should be lined with thankfulness I want you to do something this week I want you to set a timer for 10 minutes grab a pen and a pad and for the first five minutes I want you to write out Thanking God for who he is. Just who he is. God, you're merciful. God, you're loving. God, you are the creator of all things. God, you are gracious. God, you are a God of justice. I want you to just take five minutes and write out thanking God for who he is. And in the last five minutes, I want you to thank God for what he has done for you specifically. Thank God for the things he does for you on a regular basis, the big things he's done for you in life, the small things. Do this. Take ten minutes. And you will start to line that paper with all kinds of reasons, and you're not even scratching the surface. We're called to give. We're commanded to give thanks to our God. All right, he gives command after command after command after command to help us worship God in the way that we were designed to. And then he says why. Verse 5. For, that's purpose, for the Lord is his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. The Lord is good. Now, that's hard for us in the English language because goodness is kind of a very generic, vague category. Just is. Try to define it. Try to use it. I can say that the pork chop uh, dinner at 
uh, Bodhi Thai in Lexington or uh, in, uh, Five Points at Saludos. Either one of those places. You want a fancy dinner, you get the seared pork chop with the sides. They're different, different places, but that is good. That is a good meal right there. I can say that the drum solo and in the air tonight by Phil Collins, do 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 do. That is good, and it is. And then I can say the Lord is good and go, oh, what? Those aren't on the same level, right? Now, a few of you are going to want to fight the good fight and say, I will never say anything's good anymore. Somebody's going to ask me, are you good? I'm saying, you don't even know what good is. Listen, it's a losing, it's a losing battle, okay? The English language is, is just not a, it's kind of a mutt language. It's not very good with words. Or when you hear the Lord is good, you elevate that to a category of spiritual goodness that has, that's completely untainted with evil. There's no sin in that goodness. There's no failure in that goodness. There's only purity and perfection in that goodness. When you're, when you're thinking of the attributes of God, and you're just saying, God, you're so faithful, you're so gracious. Like what, one of the things that just fall back on us is, I don't, you're just so good. And it's just almost a catch-all for everything that he is. He's just good. And then it goes on to say, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness all generations. Now, those phrasings are some of the more repeated phrasings throughout the scriptures. You hear all the time, his steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. And what's powerful here is the psalmist wasn't even able to fully realize what that meant. He wasn't even fully able to realize what, how that was going to be fulfilled when God inspired this in him. Because, but this side of the cross and this side of the empty tomb, we know what it means that his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Because the goodness of God and his steadfast love and his faithfulness was perfectly displayed in Christ. That Christ left the heavens and took on flesh and dwelt among us, that he fulfilled the law perfectly, that he went to the cross to be crushed for our rebellion, that he walked out of the empty tomb to make, to give us a way to be partakers of this beautiful promise, of this beautiful steadfast love. He was faithful to us who were faithless. We understand what this means. And we get to anchor this deep into our soul over and over again when we come across psalms like this. When you look at this psalm, and it's brief five verses, it's so basic. In fact, the, the, the phrases in this psalm are repeated all over the psalms. You can flip and flip and see back and forth, and you're going to see this all over the psalms. So why at the century mark of the psalm book did God inspire such a succinct five-verse picture like this? I'd argue it is because these truths need to be anchored deeper into our soul. There needs to be sung into our soul. Uh, the Psalms were songs. They were prayers. They were meant to be repeated over and over again so that they could be anchored deeper into our souls. That's what singing does, y'all. Singing anchors truths into our soul. There's a reason why a whole generation of baby boomers have the philosophy, you know, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you know, you might find you get what you need. You know why? Because the philosopher Mick Jagger wrote that and they sang it a thousand times. 
They sang that truth deep into their soul. That's what singing does. It sings truth deep into your soul. And we need psalms like Psalm 100 to be sung, to be recited deeper into our soul. It's good for us, y'all. When you can't remember scripture sometimes, you can't remember a song. Like I, when I'm struggling with sin and suffering, I might not be able to remember Romans 8. My mind might be all over the place, but I can remember rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin, the double cure, saved from wrath and made me pure. I can remember that. And that reminds me of how good our Savior is. We need this, y'all. We need truth sung deeper into our soul. We need these psalms recited deeper into our soul. Like Matt Freeman, our pastor of worship, Who's over here in the keys? Like he spends time, y'all, and he has help sometimes with some, some different volunteers from our worship ministry, but he writes the liturgy. And he and he's thoughtful about it. And y'all, these this liturgy that we that we recite every Sunday, it gets repeated. Like Psalm 100 gets repeated once two, two once every two or three months. Which is gonna blow some of your minds because some of you miss that every week. Because you roll in late. But if you came in on time, you'd hear Psalm 100 once every two to three months. And you'd hear it over and over and over again. And that truth would get sunk deeper and deeper into your soul. And listen, we need that. We need to know the command to make a joyful noise to the Lord. We need to know the command to serve the Lord with gladness. We need to know the command that we're called to come into his presence with singing. We need to know that he is God. We need to realize and let it sink into our hearts that we belong to him and all the benefits that come along with that because he's good. Because his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness for all generations. We need that. And we're going to do that as the band comes up. We're just going to sing two more songs. And I want us to sing. I want us to sing and grow in this. To sing these truths deep into our soul. Listen, you may not know the songs. I would encourage you, if you want to know the songs, go talk to Matt after worship. It can send you a playlist. It can send you some songs that you can sing regularly to be familiar with them. But we need this. We need to grow in actually worshiping the Lord. We need to grow in singing praises to our God and actually singing. We need to grow in thankfulness. Thanking the Lord on a regular basis for all of who he is and everything that he does for us. We need to grow and worshiping our God because he's worthy of it. Now, some of you may be checking this out. You may be checking out Jesus. You may be, feel like an outsider listening into an insider conversation. And I just want to say very clearly to you, if you are exploring our faith, if you don't know where you stand before the Lord, I want you to hear what he says very clearly. There's an invitation here to be a sheep in his pasture. There's a place for you to belong amongst the people of God. Our shepherd is unbelievably good. He's unbelievably loving. And he loves you so much that the shepherd came and laid down his life for you so that you could experience this endless joy, this endless love, this unbelievable faithfulness. There's a place for you in the people of God. And the invitation is there. My hope is, is that as we sing this morning, You'd so clearly hear the invitation of our shepherd and that you would place your faith in him because he's worthy of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Psalms. 
Thank you for a couple of months just to gaze upon your beauty and your glory and your faithfulness. God, help us worship. Help us be a people that are so blown away, that are so enamored with who you are, that the overflow of that is this obedience in Psalm 100. God, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, that doesn't know how good of a shepherd you are, that this morning they would. That you would break down the doors of their heart and they would believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.